and welcome to the first episode of the O3C podcast of 2023. Yay! We are here, back at O3C Games. I'm Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined, as always, by Chris Dow. Anointed with holy water. And we are going to be chatting about our favourite video games of 2022. Announcement! Announcement! Happy New Year! It is indeed the year of our Lord 2023 and we are here for you and each other. We're busy planning our way through another 12 months of podcasting, but we would love to have some extra support in doing that. We would love to welcome more of you into the Patreon-exclusive Discord server to chat with us and help us hatch ideas and plans for the future of the show. But to be in a Patreon-exclusive place means you need to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3Z Games. It's where you can go to sign up from as little as £4 a month, equates to about a pound an episode. And we will welcome you into our inner sanctum and shower you with gifts such as full bonus episodes, outtakes, deleted scenes, video content, including all of these episodes as a video, ad-free and uncut. If you'd rather not pledge a regular donation, then you can chuck us a few quid as a one-off via our support page on our website, o3c.games slash support. There's a PayPal button there if you fancy throwing us a little something to cover the ongoing upkeep costs of the platform, or just to say, have a coffee on me. That would be lovely indeed, and a really helpful way of getting the ball rolling in 2023. And a huge thank you to our Patreon backers and our PayPal donators for the last 12 months of support. It has been essential, as we've navigated our way to where we are with the show now, and we couldn't be happier, and we are so glad to have you aboard the O3C ship as it sails ever on. The games of 2022. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the year of our Lord 2023. Ooh. I, I don't know why I'm making it. It sounds spooky. It's not. It's just just a calendar. It's a very early Halloween special. Yeah. Why not? Why not? What a year we've had. Oh, yes. I don't really want to reflect on all of the big global and political news of 2022, but I do want to reflect on the gaming year that was because... We've both had a lot of fun with a lot of games, and we're going to be spending this episode talking all about them. Our gaming highlights from the year and our hopes for 2023. We have decided to save our awardation of the O3C Game of the Year award for its own special episode, because I think we've just got too much to talk about in this goddamn episode. We've just been spoiled. It's, it's the game's fault. It's not ours. So you're going to have to be patient and wait for uh, another week before you find out what our game of the year is going to be, or just take notice and and see which game is suspiciously absent from this episode of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> now, because we two Chaplingtons don't really play by the rule book, uh, we uh, <laughs> we we tear up the rule book. You you could say, uh, not me. I don't like making a mess, but we're not two gamers who are necessarily clamoring after the latest AAA games on release day zero. And whilst there are some games that were released in 2022 that we did play, we want to first start by talking about those personal gaming highlights of the last year that came courtesy of games we were discovering freshly in 2022 rather than the brand new ones. The games of 2022 that were not from 2022. I think the phenomenal Steam Deck has a lot to answer for for this because it brought a new lease of life to so many games for us that were just sat in our Steam libraries that we thought would be nice to play handheld or just to test the platform out to see how it handled some impressive games in our libraries that weren't necessarily the latest releases. And a real surprise enjoyment for me in 2022 came actually on your recommendation, or rather your recommendation of it, as you told me a little bit about Ghost Runner, the first-person, fast-paced platforming action game that you said was akin to a first-person Super Meat Boy come Hotline Miami experience in a futuristic cyberpunk world. And I had it on my Steam Deck from a Humble Bundle, I think, and wanted to give it a go, and it really floated my boat. Even though I don't really go in for first-person games on console controls, the pickup and playability of the Steam Deck fit 
Ghost Runner so well, just being able to pick it up, have a few goes at a little section, put it down, come back to it later, fail, get frustrated, put it down, try again on the loo a little bit later on. And I loved every second of, of, of playing that game. It was one of those classic ones of it's hard, but not unfair. If I failed, it was my fault. And I knew what I had to do differently to not fail again. But the, the real thing that elevated this game to a standout highlight for me was its coincidence with the release of my album of the year or rather albums of the year because the Norwegian electronic band Reuksop started releasing their Profound Mysteries trilogy around this time and the first album just put me in such a high state of, of focus and euphoria that went hand in hand with playing Ghost Runner like the soundtrack to Ghost Runner is already really, really great and pumping, and it did this. But I found myself listening to the first Profound Mysteries album so much whilst I was working, and then turning the sound down on, on Ghost Runner as I interspersed bits of playing Ghost Runner with bits of editing. And the two things just fused together just so perfectly to the point where when Royksop released the second and third installments of the Profound Mysteries later in the year... I instinctively got the Pavlovian itch to play Ghost Runner again. <laughs> so the highlight came from the fusion of these two fantastic things, a brilliant game and a brilliant set of albums. I'd really recommend the game to anyone. It's fantastic. It's a great showcase for any sort of modern platform that you're playing it on. It looks and plays fantastically on the PS5. It looks and plays fantastically on the Steam Deck. And yeah, for me, it was a little bit special. More than perhaps any year so far, I just didn't play many contemporary new releases in 2022 so kind of thinking about this idea of, of what we played that was new to us i think is really quite important for the way that we reflect on any gaming years obviously none of this has been helped by getting the steam deck as you mentioned yeah. because <laughs> so much of my year has been dipping in and out of older emulation titles or legacy sort of steam library content that i've amassed over the years but more than that i just think i'm drifting away from big AAA games full stop like even the games we're going to talk about here in this section as in titles that I played in 2022, but didn't come out this year, you could barely call many of them AAA. They're, they're mm. double A in some cases, like the old <laughs> Duracell, but they're not like big, big marquee releases. This was the year, however, when I finally played through and beat Telltale's The Walking Dead with Georgia. Oh yeah. And it was a treat from start to finish. Like to play it with her rather than playing it solo, it was genuinely as engaging and as interesting as any prestige TV show I've seen from start to finish. I really, really did love the whole thing. When we rolled credits on the final season, I talked on this show quite a bit about how effective its writing was, how it shifted protagonists in a way that other mediums would have struggled to do as well, how it captured the spirit of the Robert Kirkman comics much better than the AMC TV adaptation had done. How ruthless Georgia was with taking decisions <laughs> to kill children. <laughs> she actually, the more episodes we did, the longer she took in her decision making. It was strange. And I wonder if it was a case of, to begin something, I think mm. she was still in the state that's like, I don't know if she was really prepared to commit to 40 odd hours of game. <laughs> so at the start, it was like, well, it doesn't matter, does it? Just, you know, just make a choice and get on with it. Yeah. And then as she became properly invested in all these characters, she was starting to think like, well, I don't want bad things to happen to, to this person. And I'm in control of that potentially. And I think it really changed. And that was quite interesting to see as well. The more the whole experience has sat with me, the more I think all of these things are true, all of these positive points. People, and I include both of us in this, are put off sometimes by games that don't feel gamey enough. But this game, as being essentially a choose-your-own-path TV show, was somehow engaging throughout the whole 40 or so hours it took to beat. Because I've reached a point these days where I can appreciate value in almost any genre if it's done well. So give me an arcade game, give me a first-person shooter, give me a simulation racer, give me a visual novel, give me a puzzle game. If they're decent games, if they do what they're trying to do well, I'll probably get something out of them. And I would say as a straight narrative game, one that is very, very little to do with actually like any sort of reaction-based stuff or anything like that, The Walking Dead is, is one of the very best in class. And I'm really, really happy that the team at Telltale were able to finish Clementine's story, even when the, their own futures looked in jeopardy. By the sounds of it, Telltale are kind of back in some capacity now. They're working on The Wolf Among Us 2, which is due to come out next year. I'm looking forward to potentially playing that at some point because I did enjoy the first one. So another couple of games that I really wanted to play when they first came out, but didn't, and was subsequently thrilled that they handled so well on the Steam Deck, were the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes. Ah, yes. Very recent. Very recent, in yeah. fact. I, I was a little gutted that I didn't discover the website Steam Deck HQ until after I'd finished 
Resident Evil 2 because incredibly finely honed specification recommendations that are on that website that I found for Resident Evil 3 made that game play just so much smoother and more crisply. Even still, these are two games that I was really, really glad to have played and also really glad to have played as a double bill because they do feel like two halves of the same game and all of the modern updates that have been folded in, not just doing away with fixed camera tank control abomination of the originals, but the map system, the inventory management, everything else that's been implemented in the series post Resident Evil 4 just just make these a really fun, often just totally daft gaming experience. I can't actually remember when I played Resident Evil Village. I don't know if that was 2022 as well now. Maybe. I come to think of it. I wouldn't have said like, oh yeah, I'm a big fan of the Resident Evil series because I never played Resident Evil 1, 2 or 3 when they were out. I tried playing the Resident Evil remake on the GameCube and thought it was bunk. <laughs> I absolutely fucking love Resident Evil 4 and didn't play Resident Evil 5, 6. Tried playing Resident Evil 7. It absolutely traumatized me. I vowed never to play it again. And then I played 8 and I absolutely loved it. But the modern Resident Evil formula feels like they've sort of found now because they went in a very different direction for Resident Evil 4. They went in a stupider direction for 5 and 6. Started coming back with 7 and 8 feels like it's playing like Resident Evil 4, but really, really refined. And that's what 2 and 3 feel like as well. I just love it. I love that formula. I find it quite comforting. I know where I'm at with it, even though it's going to be quite a bit scary and spooky and make you jump and see some horrible things. I just, I just really like it. I really like it. And I'm glad to have played two and three. I don't have any nostalgia for them. So I just enjoyed them for what they were. And, you know, as long as Capcom keep making games, uh, certainly Resident Evil games, if they're making them in that style, I'll keep playing them because they're just really good fun. Really good fun. Glad to have played them. Bloody good fun. Literally. Do you remember how many weeks on the podcast I spent talking about everybody's golf? <laughs> everybody's golf? Everybody's bored. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they probably were. They probably were. <laughs> I loved the, it. I loved it. The online servers I was racing against are now officially shuttered, but mm. the memory of this game will burn brightly for years to come in my own head. I still have some mopping up to do to unlock the game's platinum trophy, which was my mission at the start. But after 60, 70 hours, of which 10 at least must have been spent going for those three fucking Condor hole-in-ones. Mm. I felt I had to give it a rest. Like I did beat all the online bits. I ground out some of the game's toughest single player bits. And through all of it, at no point was I not enjoying myself. As much as it got very, very tough in places and it was frustrating perhaps, I wasn't not having fun. I think golf may well be my favourite sport to video game conversion. Mm. And the more I've thought about this one, I think everybody's golf may even eke out Mario Golf on the Game Boy Color as my all-time favourite version of the sport if I was to revise my list again. Interesting. I just think the three-click system is perfect. The balance between realism and silly superhero-style power shots is perfect. The character customization is really silly and therefore perfect. <laughs> the courses were varied and fun. And quite literally, my only criticism of Everybody's Golf was how much the game relied on that online connectivity. Yeah. Because as much as being part of that community for the months I was playing was a really good laugh, I can't say for me that it made the game any better or worse than if it was just a single-player title. And I think for everyone, it's a real shame that to buy or play the game today, you have to accept an inferior product because that whole mm. bit is just essentially cut off. Just a message says, oh, servers aren't here anymore. And that's a big chunk of the game you now can't access. Perhaps Clap Hands Golf or its Switch port Easy Come Easy Golf <laughs> will take everybody's golf's throne for best video golf game when I eventually get around to play it. But the core game, though, under whichever title, is as fun in 2022 as it was at release in 2017 and easily one of my favourite things I've played this year. So my biggest gaming highlight that came courtesy of a slightly older game also came courtesy of the Steam Deck, and it also possibly gave me my biggest gaming achievement of my whole life. <laughs> was when I finally beat Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you deserve the accolades for that one. <laughs> I absolutely adored Sekiro when I first played it on the PS4, when it first came out. And whilst I loved the brutally harsh challenge of the game, the final boss eluded me time after time after time to the point where I did the very uncharacteristic thing and, and gave up. I, I put it down. I said I'd return one day and... Return I did uh, on the Steam Deck. First of all, what an incredible machine it is to run a <laughs> yeah. game of this scope and size on a fucking handheld. But it was exactly what I needed to be able to, to pick it up and play it in shorter bursts, trying the boss fights, failing, chucking it down, reflecting, learning, trying again. And this saw me get all the way to the final boss again. And after several, several failed attempts, I started to get a glimpse of a way through. And a few attempts later, 
I had more adrenaline coursing through my veins than the time I wrote off a bus in a car crash. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had finally, finally beaten Sekiro. It was a moment of of sheer triumph and euphoria, unmatched by any other victory in a From Software game or, or any other game for that matter. So much so that I decided to then play through the game again to get the different ending and again to unlock the other ending and again to unlock the final (laughs) weapons and a final fifth time to get all of the steam achievements let's not gloss over the fact that the game does get harder each time you start a new game plus so i was playing it incrementally harder each time but i felt like a true wizard by the end like (laughs) a gamer who, who had properly conquered a game that many including myself would deem unconquerable Utterly, utterly phenomenal gaming experience. And, you know, I I really, really hope that From Software return to that world for a sequel at some time because it is such a remarkable game. I absolutely love it. All I've essentially done is really memorise some patterns. That's all I've done. But because of this game and because of the way that's presented and the genius of its design and the experience of being able to play it handheld on the Steam Deck, it's something so much more. It's my proudest gaming achievement. So my last highlight of 2022 that was not from 2022 is another primarily narrative-based game. I don't even know if I mentioned this on the show when I played it. I kind of ran through this in a couple nights. And sometimes when I then sit down to actually make notes for the episodes we record, I have such busy time at work sometimes, I forget what I played on Monday and Tuesday by the time I'm writing on the weekend as what I played at the end of the week. NeoCab, originally launched on Apple Arcade in 2019, but has since migrated to other platforms. So... I played it on the Switch via its boutique physical release that came out just this year, and I loved it from start to finish. Really, like, surprisingly loved it. You take control of a character called Lena, who has moved to a new city to be closer to her best friend, Savvy, and to make ends meet, you're driving an Uber-inspired Neo cab. And the rhythm of the game is made up of balancing your finances, your personal stamina, and your driver rating by taking taxi jobs each day, as more and more stories then revealed surrounding the disappearance of your friend. The game is all menu and choice driven. So this isn't a crazy taxi style driving game. So if you're after something exciting in a traditional gamey sense, it's probably not going to be for you. But the whole experience is so well written and paced that I felt really invested in Lena's whole story. The fares you pick up are usually your choice with many of the characters of the city having their own connections to the main narrative. So that sometimes collecting the same fare multiple times on on different days will reward you with more information about that individual or sometimes even open up clues or slightly altered routes through the main story. The whole thing is delivered in like a cyberpunk synthwave wrapping. And although I think that style is reaching a point of overuse in popular culture right now, I think Neocab does that mix of high and low tech really, really well. And there's some fantastic discussions between Lena and her passengers about the problems that are being caused and solved by big tech, kind of, you know, the big thing of, of the era now, to be honest. And especially the titular Neocab organisation is this point of constant tension for Lena because other driverless vehicles developed by a shadowy rival tech company are attempting to muscle in on her livelihood from pretty much the moment the game opens. As it's a story game, not going to spoil the crux of it, but it's only four or five hours long. It's still available on Apple Arcade if you have a compatible device, and I'm sure it would play perfectly well because you're just choosing options from menus. Or it's also on Switch or PC if you want something more traditional. But as something that really came out of nowhere to be a big surprise that I thoroughly enjoyed, I want to give it a really, really solid recommendation as a non-2022 highlight for 2022. <laughs> the Games of 2022. So uh, all the games of 2022 that I've picked to talk about here uh, just happen to be Switch games, because even though the Switch is now running on vastly out-of-date hardware and rusty innards, developers are still showing it a huge amount of love and care to get the best out of it. One of the biggest surprises in this realm was Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Oh, yeah. Now, I had fears that it could be another Balan Wonderworld-style mess, and uh, I I should have had more faith, because obviously Balan Wonderworld, this ain't. (laughs) But it does shine a light on how fine a line there is between the two games' successes, because... Both are very, very similar in their setup and their gameplay design in terms of 3D platforming, fantasy adventure, absorbing abilities and using those to solve puzzles. But Kirby gets everything right that Balan didn't. And and namely, it's down to having an attention to detail over all of the elements in play. 
like I think the choice to go with a fixed camera 3D platforming system rather than a free camera one was a sensible choice. It also helps keep the game focused and precise in a way that you don't necessarily get when you can look everywhere and, and try to get everywhere. But the focus and care that HAL Labs have poured into every single moment of this game is so clear to see because it is such a well-balanced, finely tuned gaming experience. It's got all of the classic Kirby gameplay elements and designs that you want to see, plus expanding it so much further with so many new and wonderful ideas that, that wouldn't really work in a classic 2D Kirby game. So it's not just doing 3D for 3D's sake. It's, it's really found its reason for this character to be in this dimension. And what it delivered were moments of pure creative joy that I don't think I've had in any other game. Genuine laugh out loud moments of surprise that came purely from moments of gameplay, not from cutscenes or, or dialogue, just from the pure glee of what's been made for me to play. I'm really looking forward to next year's remake of Kirby's Return to Dreamland, which is a return to the classic 2D Kirby affair. But I really, really hope they continue to develop the, the 3D strand of this series now, given what a success, you know, The Forgotten Land has been. Because, yeah, as a Switch exclusive, it's really high up there in terms of quality and most importantly, just in terms of fun. Absolutely brilliant. It was everything that I wanted Sackboy's Adventure on PS5. It's what I wanted that to be. Fucking love Kirby. He's great, isn't he? <laughs> For me, trying to sit down and work out what I'd played that was actually contemporaneous to this year was quite hard work. Like my initial thinking was, if I look through my PlayStation 5 stuff, that's the most current gen console I have. Surely the games I've bought maybe this year would have been 2022 releases. So I looked through my library. I looked at what I played. Hot Wheels Unleashed, a racing game I enjoyed a fair chunk of. 2021, ineligible. Wreckfest, Whoops. loved it. 2021, ineligible. <laughs> Stray, which was pretty hotly anticipated by myself and Georgia for being a game where you jump about as a cat, did come out in 2022. But... We were having a lovely time until our save glitched two, three hours in and made progress impossible without starting the whole game again. And so even though I liked it, I refused to give it a spot here. It's not having a spotlight. <laughs> and so I ended up going back to kind of the odds and sods, just weird stuff I played. So first highlight, Babylon's Fall, the Platinum Games online only looter shooter thing that everyone hated that I really liked. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that now, yeah. Now, if we're being charitable, it looked like a PlayStation 4 game. If we're being honest, it was probably only a high-res PlayStation 3 game. But <laughs> the reason I enjoyed it so much was because it put me in mind of a modern take on Fantasy Star Online. I've tried a few times to play Fantasy Star Online 2. First, via its totally untranslated Japanese release on the PlayStation 4 a long time back. And I, I got quite far into it, like just getting my way through menus. Mm. And then more recently, I played it on the PC when it finally got a translation. But there's too much to it. It's too much of just a general MMO. Mm. And naturally, that's what a lot of people want. But for my experience for Fantasy Star Online, it was always via tiny fan-maintained communities on the GameCube 10 years after the fact, or most recently playing the PC build of Blue Burst, which is still diligently updated by a core group of diehards. Babylon's Fall put me in mind of that sort of community, except sadly for Platinum, that's not necessarily by design. It's just because no fucker bought the game <laughs> and it pretty much launched dead on arrival, which is a real shame for them. But you're running through the same stages like Fantasy Star. You upgrade gear like Fantasy Star. You can tackle missions solo if you want to try and tank through enemies or bosses or with a group of three others like Fantasy Star. Bizarrely, to me at least, I think the reasons so many people hated the game in 2022 were the same reasons why people were probably really into PSO back in 2000. Like, granted, maybe we're supposed to expect a little bit more after 22 years of development progress. But equally, I think it's fun shoot me <laughs> you know, I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> the combat feels platinum e visual effects are, are sadly hugely dialed back from their other kind of contemporary releases like it doesn't even look as good as any of the platinum games on switch to be honest yeah but still they provide the odd smile i think the bosses and enemies look really cool like as an example if you look up the boss moira who must be defeated i think at the end of the third world it's like this disgusting arachnid human hybrid that gives most dark souls bosses a run for their money i think in terms of visual look and the music's great so if nothing else you might enjoy that <laughs> like people should give it a go it will definitely be in bargain bins this christmas for probably less than a fiver <laughs> this is the time to jump in if you want to try something a little bit different with very little to lose in terms of your own uh, you know financial down payment it could be something to, to give a play 
So the other game for me was, like Kirby, another sort of sink or swim release, and that was Pokemon Legends Arceus. Oh, you liked that one, didn't you? I did. I did, yeah. It was sort of like the first proper full RPG spin-off from the mainline Pokemon series in a way that we really hadn't had before with even like the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon and Pokemon Shuffle and Pokemon Shovel and Pokemon Dig and Pokemon Race and Pokemon Dash and Pokemon... What was that blocky one? I can't remember. Pokemon Puzzle Challenge. Survive? Survive? Was that one? Who knows? Who knows? But this is the first time when they went, it's significantly less of a spin-off and more like the next big step forward for the franchise. It pushed the game in a very different, more immediate setup. And that was always going to be a risk for a series that hasn't really evolved its core mechanics in 25 years. But plopping you down in an ancient Pokemon land of old, a vast wilderness with very rudimentary tech, it all just felt so right to have this more action-adventure Monster Hunter inspired gameplay loop where you have direct control of your main character in a way that you haven't had before because you are vulnerable in this wilderness. There are Pokemon running around in the wild, some were harmless, some could cause you an awful lot of harm. And and you felt like you were in this world for the first time with real consequences and a and a real sense of danger and adventure. It was a genius setup that unfortunately has now taken a tumble vastly backwards with Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Ah. I mean, Ar- Arceus wasn't without its shortcomings as well, especially in the technical performance space. It was a bit bland and empty, but nowhere near like riddled with the type of embarrassing glitches and bugs and hitches that have plagued Scarlet and Violet. It was all very well balanced and thought out as well in Arceus. There was always something to do with side quests and exploration for days. It's a fantastic game. It's a really, really fun refresh of the core Pokemon formula. It's modernized it, but not in a way that's going to make Pokemon hardcore fans go, oh, you've got to change it back because, hey, it's a spin-off. I'd really, really love to see them continue this strand. I, I hope they don't abandon it because this like Legends side series could be something really, really special. And they've got all these other generations that they can turn to because this is loosely based... Well, this is based on the world from Generation 4. I mean, I'd love it if they did a Pokemon Legends game based on the world of Pokemon Gold and Silver. If they did a Pokemon Legends... What would it be? Salibi, I guess it would have to be, where you could experience the land of, of Johto and Kanto hundreds of years before Ash and Professor Oak were roaming there. Like, I mean, my goodness, like that would be just so, so special. But do yourselves a favour, Game Freak, and um, save it for the next generation of Switch hardware, maybe. <laughs> Poor guys. For this next entry, I'm cheating a little with this one. Mixalumia came out on the PC in 2020, but the Switch port came out in 2022 counts there we go there we go and it was the switch port that got me properly revitalized in the game like alongside that switch release came a raft of new content some refined visual effects work and other tweaks which not only made the switch game one of the best things you could buy this year but was then also folded back into the pc version meaning that i've now also added 20 hours of playtime to the steam version too (laughs) puzzle games suit handhelds best everyone knows it Mixaluma is one of the best puzzle games I've ever played. And the more I play, the more I'm convinced that this will appear in like all time hidden gem lists in a decade or so. Yeah. This isn't necessarily the place to go over in-depth mechanics of this thing, but it's a block dropping puzzle game that uses a reactive musical score, a bit like Tetris Effect, a bit like Luminaires, with the main twist here being that it has a tapered, almost like conical play field. And that really does shift how you have to think about making matches. If you give this game a go, even as a stalwart of matching puzzle games, you will struggle to initially come to terms with how pieces match and how pieces are going to cascade given that angled well. But that is what has made it such a joy to play. And in the same way that Luminaires or Chime can feel incredibly oblique for your first few hours of play and then suddenly just click, Mixalumia is just as fussy when you first start, but then just feels really, really good to finally crack. As the years roll on, I think this is another contender for list inclusion for me, but I genuinely don't know where it would fall. Like, to be honest, I think that all comes down to how good I'm eventually able to get at it, (laughs) because Tetris and Luminaires both rank very highly by virtue of being games my brain just gets. And even probably 50 hours in, I'm still learning with Mixalumia. There's certain times where I'll sit down and I just have an absolutely shocking run where it's just like, I'm just not seeing these patterns properly. I'm not kind of getting what I'm doing. And then other times I'm in that zone where it's like things are happening almost without my knowledge. 
it's just very exciting to learn a game like this. It's a real joy. I think it's the, it's the same thing I get from kind of getting really stuck on a particular arcade game that I can just learn a very basic system, but how you exploit it, how you kind of work your way through it, what you can learn, what you can't learn, when you can kind of plan ahead, when you can react. And puzzle games are essentially like that. So it's it's a real treat. Looks amazing on the OLED. We say that all the time for these sorts of games. Mm. But equally, looks lovely on the Steam Deck, which I've played for as much time this year, probably between the two versions of, of this update. So the final 2022 release uh, for me is, isn't actually a full game. But it is the self-proclaimed massive expansion that was released for Monster Hunter Rise. And that was uh, Sunbreak. It speaks volumes of uh, the quality and depth of Sunbreak that my playtime on the game almost quadrupled because <laughs> of this expansion. So that it goes to show you how much content they added into this game, but also how much they successfully renewed my interest in the elements of the game that I hadn't really discovered before and a lot of this is down to the superb co-op experience I had playing it with my friend Casper. When I first played Monster Hunter Rise it was quite a long time after my friends who had it had already played it and put it down so I didn't really have anyone of the same level as me to, to play with that, that I knew. Now, fortunately, the online co-op system in the game is extremely well made and easy to use. So I was able to have a really fun time playing online with maybe 80% of the randoms that I was paired with. But that's, it was nothing compared to how much fun it was to play with a friend. And me and Casper, in anticipation for Sunbreak, got back into Rise to tick off all of the content that had been released in the interim, including some extraordinarily hard challenges that we bossed our way through. And then we set out to enjoy the brand new content, which elevated the game to just a whole new level with its new mechanics that saw you be able to fight bigger and badder monsters, craft bigger and badder armor, bigger, badder weapons, uh, enjoy all manner of just bigger, badder story elements. It's just <laughs> absurd. It's absolutely absurd. When you think that they can't elevate like how impressive a certain dragon is, they'll be like, oh, here he is in gold. Um, it's just wonderful. We had such a blast playing it. And I know there's still content coming out for it, like on a fairly regular basis that we now need to, you know, catch up on all of that at some point. But it's such a testament to how generous Capcom have been with this game. Even though the expansion was a paid expansion, the support they've shown to this game is phenomenal. And I can call myself wholly satiated and desperately looking forward to, you know, whatever comes next in the Monster Hunter franchise. For my final 2022 highlight, it's not a game at all because this was the year of new hardware between the play date and the steam deck for me 2022 will go down as one of the very best years for gaming because even though i didn't play many brand new releases those two devices felt borderline revolutionary in their approach and execution thinking back to getting my playstation 5 the most i can muster now the dust has settled is a shrug <laughs> and that feels awful to say but I've already mentioned I'm not buying and playing many brand new games and the experience of that machine after I've been wowed by Spider-Man Remastered, after I'd grinned through Astro Bot, it just feels kind of so-so. You know, these are very sharp, very shiny games, but they're just the games I was playing on the PlayStation 4 before. The Steam Deck for being much less powerful, obviously, it's opened the door to so many experiences, both old and new, that I can't see how this doesn't end up ranking up there with my very favourite pieces of hardware ever. And it's a PC, yes, but it's in a form factor that rounds all of the edges from the boxy utilitarian laptop or home computer. And SteamOS is a genuine game changer in how it gives you access to a full library, but with these baked in tweaks that mean if you want to play using a dock on a TV, it's easy. Syncing controllers of any flavor, easy. Making performance changes on the fly, easy. Combining a variety of input methods to make any game playable, easy. You know, the games I'm able to play now while sat in bed or whilst lounging on the sofa just blow my mind. There's just so much choice. And when you then factor in emulation too, because the deck is honestly the best in class too when it comes to emulation performance, really, you've essentially got access to near enough every game released on near enough every platform that's existed, going from today back to gaming's year dot. It's not without caveats, of course. And if you're not into tinkering and faffing with tech like I am, you can probably dial this frothing enthusiasm down <laughs> to a more considered simmer. But still, it blows me away every day. Before I had the chance to order one, I was umming and ahhing over whether the 500 and something pounds outlay was going to be worth it. But after six months of essentially playing it every single day, I'd say that figure is undervalued, if anything. Like if I'd known <laughs> exactly what this thing would be capable of prior to ordering, 
I'd happily have invested double to secure one. It's just so essential. And the play date. We both love it enough that it's been the central crux of this whole season of episodes. Yeah. I'm sure there are some who might roll their eyes at an indie handheld that plays bite-sized games of varying quality on an unlit one-bit display. But I really do think nearly everyone would change their tune, at least to one of mild interest rather than, you know, shoulder shrug, if they actually held and interacted with the thing. The Steam Deck is everything to every person. The play date is very niche things to very specific people. But the draw is that these experiences, for the most part, are totally exclusive to the play date alone. So, yeah, you've got a sideloaded version of Slitherlink or Solitaire or Tetris, and they are just that. They're versions of Slitherlink or Solitaire or Tetris. But the games that really embrace the hardware, or the developers that let loose with micro ideas they'd never take from fruition to conclusion on regular machines, make every single new day with the play date a joy. Like of the season so far, Pick Pack Pup, Crankin's Time Travel Adventure, Boogie Loops, Flipper Lifter, they're all bangers, and they're bangers that you can only experience on this little handheld. Every other game I've mentioned today is available across multiple formats. Even the Sony exclusive Everybody's Golf has been repackaged as Clap Hands Golf with minor tweaks. In casual play, they look and feel the same. You know, I, I read a crazy statistic the other day that the PlayStation 5, and I'm not just trying to endlessly rack on it, it has literally, not hyperbole, got four games available for it that can't be accessed elsewhere, either through mm. cross-gen, multi-platform, or PC releases. Yeah. But if you want to play Echoic Memory or Whitewater Wipeout or Demon Quest 85, the play date is the only place to do so. And that's what has made it so exciting to explore in depth this year, because these are tailored games for a bespoke machine that are truly exclusive. If you don't have a play date, you're, you're not playing these games. And that has been enough for draw to mean that any time I put the Steam Deck down, the play date's there to pick up and do something different. And that's a really wonderful choice to have. As a quick addendum, I wanted to just make mention of Chocobo GP, a game which I completely forgot had come out in 2022 when talking about the year that was 2022. The game launched back in January and it was thrust back into my mind by recent news that Square Enix will not be supporting it as a live service beyond this year, meaning that online play will still be available and accessible, but there won't be any more large content drops as there have been throughout the last few months. It's a real shame because it's a game that, despite being quite maligned at launch, I put probably 40 or 50 hours into. If I had remembered it when I was writing my notes for this episode, it absolutely would have placed somewhere in my memories of positives from 2022 but as it stands you can go back and enjoy this game for pennies these days and more than ever i would recommend that people interested in cutesy kart racers give it a go because for the 10 or 15 pounds a physical copy will cost you you will have a decent amount of fun the games of 2022 we may play in 2023 Speaking of games of 2022, inevitably there were games that came out in this last year that we, we haven't had a chance to play yet. So what were some 2022 games that are on your pile to plough through at some point, potentially in 2023? Well, as we're recording this a little bit before date of release, because obviously it takes time to prepare, I don't know yet if I've actually had time to get through Sonic Frontiers over my Christmas break. <laughs> But that was one I was kind of interested in. I don't know why I keep trying with 3D Sonic games. <laughs> like over the years, I, yeah. I was even drawn into the hype around Sonic 06 that came out on the 360. That to play now, when I tried recently, it's completely unplayable. Mm. Again, I, I'm not exaggerating just for comic effect. I always try and give things a fair shake. Wasn't funny. Trying to go back to that game, it was like within five minutes, I'd flown through the floor. Yeah. And then I was like, well, maybe it's a one-off. Five minutes later different bit of floor off we go it's terrible <laughs> and after that like I, I tried sonic colors on the wii yeah it was all right i tried sonic lost world on the wii u yeah it's a bit better but it was kind of all right so i don't know sonic frontiers could be shocking but i'm still interested to try it the only other one really from this year that i was particularly interested in i do want to check out marion rabbits at some point but i feel there's more from the original release that i still haven't done so I, i've kind of got mm. that to try and get through first the donkey kong dlc from the first one is flipping brilliant as yeah, well yeah i'd, I'd heard that. it was really strong mm. but i never got around to checking out immortality either which was oh yeah not not a sequel to but it was by the same developer as her story and telling lies and her story 
made it into my list when we did our revisions last season. Telling Lies, I never got around to either, but Immortality has reviewed so well. It picked up a couple of plaudits at the Game Awards recently. Like it's meant to be a very, very good game, despite still being, in essence, an FMV title. So I'm really excited to give that a go at some point. And that's that's kind of me. That's that's the stuff I missed. There's lots of stuff came out, but I just don't remember what. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've still got stuff that I've started and, and haven't finished, like Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Marion Rabbit Sparks of Hope, God of War Ragnarok, all of which were surprisingly usurped by the significantly worse Pokemon Violet. <laughs> but I do plan on playing all of those uh, at some point. And I also really want to play Bayonetta 3 at some point as well, because yeah. that does look very, very cool. Um, I'm a little bit gutted that I cancelled my pre-order so quickly when <laughs> when, when all that fiasco kicked yeah. off online and then realised, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I do really <laughs> want to play that. I'm also really interested in... Sonic Frontiers. I'd be really interested to hear your review and see if you give it maybe like a six out of ten, and then I know to subtract three from that <laughs> by the law of Ball and Wonderworld. Uh, Did I give that a five or a six? I can't remember. You gave it a five. a five. You gave okay. it a five. I'm really hoping that a, a demo is released for it. I know that there's a demo for the Switch version on the Japan eShop at the moment for Sonic Frontiers. Okay. Uh, apparently, but I don't really want to play it on Switch. If I'm going to play, I want to play it so it looks, you know, kind of. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I might, if a demo releases on PS5, I'll certainly give it a go. Or if maybe I can pick it up for like nine ninety nine. But then to be honest, it might be released as like a PlayStation Plus subscription game in one of their, yeah, give one it a of few their months. things at some point. It's certainly possible. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I do really want to play Xenoblade 3 at some point because I absolutely adored those games. And uh, I know that I will with this one. I did. I, I was really enjoying it and then just stopped playing it. The games of 2023. So let's look forward to 2023 and talk about some of the games coming next year that we are practically salivating for the floor. That was uh, method acting there. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Oh boy. That's a big one. That's a big one, obviously. I really hope it's good. I've been a bit all over the place experiencing the highs and lows of open world gameplay this year with something like Elden Ring building on Breath of the Wild and Pokemon Violet dragging it, kicking and screaming back to 1994. <laughs> but, I know that, <laughs> but I know that Tears of the Kingdom won't be one that is rushed or compromised by anything. So fingers crossed. So excited for it. I'm really excited to have more Breath of the Wild style Zelda because I enjoyed it more than regular style zelda <laughs> and the fact this has taken a full console generation essentially yeah. to make a sequel to hopefully will mean good things but equally it could well be that we get an announcement in the new year saying switch two alongside tears of the kingdom and it's another uh twilight princess situation and breath of the wild situation oh fuck yeah yeah there's every possibility yeah i think the longer the release date gets pushed back and the less information we have the more likely it is i think that we have a successor to the Switch alongside a slightly shinier version of, of this game. Would be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, most of the games I've got on my 2023 wish list are sequels or remakes, like uh, Octopath Traveler 2, which yeah. uh, will be nice, I'm sure. I've already bought it on Steam, so I'll, I'll probably be playing that on the deck or via my dock for the 4K 2D experience, perhaps. There's also Sports Story, oh, which is yeah. the long-awaited sequel to Golf Story, which was just a fucking banger of a game and sports story looks to be just the most incredible follow-up not only are there like more sports introduced like tennis cricket football bmxing volleyball fishing but there's also like rpg elements in there and there's like dungeon exploration and all kinds of i'm just i'm i'm so so excited for it i'll 100 be booting it up day one and I, I cannot wait one of the games i'm genuinely interested for and i would say maybe no one else in the world is, is um, <laughs> Theat Rhythm, Final Bar Line. Oh, yeah. Because of all the Final Fantasy games I've played, the Theat Rhythm games are my favourites, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is stupid. But the, the two games that released on the 3DS were both really good rhythm games. They both used the touchscreen and stylus rather than buttons, but still felt incredibly precise. Like Very, very good games. The first game had a big soundtrack, like quite a long list of tracks to play through. The second game, 
that tripled it. And this version on the Switch and, and wherever else it's going to launch is about eight times the size again. <laughs> Every single Final Fantasy game is represented with a good like 20, 30 bits of music. Every Square adjacent RPG and series seems to be getting 10, 15 tracks as well. It looks like an incredibly generous package. And it's been a long time since I've really got into like a new rhythm game. So if this launches and kind of looks like it's a decent time, I think that could consume me for quite a while mm. because it's it's the kind of mix between it being a rhythm game, but also essentially being a soft RPG as well. So there's yeah. things to unlock, there's characters to upgrade, there's equipment and loadouts and everything else, which make you be able to kind of get a better score through tracks. And it's just really, really good fun. In the realm of remakes, there are two games that are also going to be day oneers for me, and that's Dead Space and Resident Evil 4. Yeah. Dead Space is probably the game in less need of a makeover because I think the original still holds up brilliantly, and that's thanks to incredible art design, really tight horror gameplay moments, uh, but, but the paint job it, it's going to get will be outstanding, uh, I'm sure, and it's another just it's just a great excuse to revisit that horrible world (laughs) the original resident evil 4 still plays incredibly well today and i also really enjoyed the oculus vr port of it too the gameplay is so solid in that that it's formed the foundation for where the resident evil series is now but again the paint job on it i think it's really going to be quite something lending a whole new oppressive atmosphere to keep you away from the game for another 10 years probably no chance (laughs) no chance But it will also be nice to see some of the horrendously dated story and dialogue content get a refresh to to make it a a bit less problematic and sleazy. So, yeah, those will be incredible experiences, uh, I'm sure. I I really want you to at least experience it. So I'm going to have to play it with you at some point. Yeah, I think Um, that's that's the only way to be perfectly honest maybe we, maybe we book ourselves in for a halloween double bill of dead space and resident evil 4 oh, god that's a face <laughs> the face chris just pulled is worth subscribing to the patreon for to get the video version of this i've never seen that before oh, dear. god you look like a constipated spoon bill <laughs> one thing i'm i don't know if excited for is the right word I, i'm interested to know more about is the playstation vr2 yeah should should in theory launch next year the big challenge at this stage is Sony have to sell me on this idea of essentially spending the cost of a PlayStation 5 again in order to, to have the VR. Because it's like 500 quid, isn't it? Mm. Is the RRP, which is a lot of money. Whereas I've already said today, I would pay double for a Steam Deck. I probably wouldn't for VR I know nothing about kind of thing. Yeah. I've every hope that it's going to be a like transcendental upgrade from the original PSVR, because we've already seen how much better it can be with the Oculus or Mm. kind of any other kind of modern headsets. But then you do have the additional problems that this is now tethered again, isn't it? The VR2. So any sort of freedom you had from using the Oculus, you're not going to have because it's got, you know, all the extra tech, which is making this a higher fidelity experience. But equally, you know, do you want that trade-off? You know, it's, it's that portability thing, isn't it? Of saying, I play something on the Steam Deck, I play something on the Switch over a shinier version because of the convenience of being able to carry it around my house or take it away with me. And to to lose that, I think, is going to be a real battle for Sony to kind of combat in press. Yeah. It's why I got so much more playtime out of my Oculus Quest than I did with PSVR, just because of that small amount of hassle involved in turning it on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what is announced. To be honest, if someone said Tetris Effect is getting a a refresh and looks even better, might spend the 500 quid. (laughs) But more realistically, like the games I'm actually interested in, No Man's Sky is getting a free update. Ah. So if, if you have the PS4 version, you've already got a free update to PS5. If you have the PS5 version, you then get a free update to VR. So that's something nice. that you could play day one as well. But also Fantavision, an old PlayStation 2 puzzle game where you pop fireworks in time with music, has just had an announcement that that's going to be their day one as well. And that, to be honest, is more interesting to me than saying go play resident evil that's a future top 10 for you oh the, the original fantasy vision is really good really really good i like it I a lot. but yeah who knows it's it's a real kind of case of a wait and see job i think for that one but equally you know as soon as i had an experience with the psvr i then ordered one the next day mm. so i worry that it's the same sort of thing i'm very susceptible to kind of new tech that it's <laughs> like you you feel it and experience it and then my initial response is not like well that'd be nice to pick up in the future it's always like well ideally i want it now could I have it this evening? <laughs> Could Amazon drive it to my house before I get home from work? <laughs> Which is obviously, you know, very irresponsible as an adult in a tough economic time. Yeah, uh, you know you're talking to somebody who's 
on exactly the same page. Yeah. The only original game, like proper original game that's coming out next year that I'm looking forward to is Hogwarts Legacy, mm. which is the open world adventure set in the, the wizarding world hundreds of years before Harry Potter. And this is a game that I've really wanted in concept ever since I first read the first Harry Potter book. Just the ability to be in that world and explore Hogwarts and the surrounding areas. And it, it looks to deliver on that experience in, in just such a lovely, lovely way. Like up until now, Lego Harry Potter has scratched that itch beautifully because it's just brilliant. It'd be nice to experience a time in the Hogwarts history before Harry Potter and Voldemort and Dumbledore that, you know, I can then feel a bit more of a personal ownership over. It is, of course, a bit of a shame that some of the focus of the game is overshadowed by J.K. Rowling <laughs> yeah. and her, her personal opinions. Like, I don't really want to get into the discourse around it. But what I will say is that as far as that goes i think only new perspectives deserve a platform to be discussed not old established ideas people can obviously hold whatever opinion they have about things but if that's been the status quo for hundreds of years you don't need to shout to keep that side of the conversation alive <laughs> so yeah you know yeah. i'd be more than happy if jk rowling just kept her mouth shut but i think it's such a hard thing to distance yourself from art because you don't agree with the person that created it on whatever level like I love Brett Goldstein and I love Ted Lasso. He's a Spurs fan. <laughs> Roald Dahl was a bit of a racist, apparently, but <laughs> but yeah. I, I'm 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 not a racist, and, and I don't feel that that Roald Dahl's work promotes those beliefs. So I'll continue to enjoy it. And and I I fucking love Harry Potter and and that universe. And I don't feel that they peddle any transphobic messages or anything like that. So I'm going to continue to enjoy it as much as I want. Otherwise, I'm just cutting my nose off to spite my face, as it were. And I also know that J.K. Rowling hasn't been involved in the development of this game. And I do wish the developers all the best with it because it's also their first like proper big game. And it's a huge responsibility to be given. So yeah, I hope it's good. And I, I hope it's something that I can really enjoy. There we go. So there we go. Those were our gaming highlights of 2022. Those were our hopes for 2023. We'd love to know what your gaming highlights were from this last year. We'd love to know what games you're looking forward to playing in the next year as well. Uh, reach out to us on all of our social media at O3C Games. You can chat to us uh, individually as well. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am still on Twitter at Chaz underscore Hodges. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed this last season, if you've enjoyed this last year of episodes, please do consider heading over to Patreon, patreon.com slash O3C Games and uh, donating a little bit to help with the upkeep of the show and keep us going for the next year. You can also give us a one-off donation via PayPal if you go to our website, o3c.games slash support. Read our articles and look at our videos that are on there as well. There's some really fun stuff. Next week, we're going to be closing off our triple bill of festive specials by awarding our Game of the Year award. The Games of 2022. Sequelcast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt Bradley Shurgi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast every Saturday on the HyperX Podcast Network.